We've been going through this study of the Gospel of Mark. If you've got your Bible with you, you feel free to open it up. Or if you've got version on the app, uh, there's notes on there for you as well. Um, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark through this series of Pastor Mike entitled Read Jesus. And it's been talking about this un- concept of trying to regain our understanding of who Jesus was and how we can actually live more like him, right? We don't get confused that, that term of, well, it's, it's common and it's normal to say that we're a Christian. That's becoming, that's becoming just, just a, a fad or a trend for people to identify as a Christian. But what does it really mean to live like Jesus did, to really love and to serve him with all that we have, with our entire hearts, right? And so this morning, we're going to be continuing through that because you know, one of the things that's a real challenge for us is that we all have different obstacles that get in the way of us being more like Jesus. Each one of us have different life experiences, different things that we've been through that get in the way that keep us from being perfect like Jesus was perfect, right? But the cool part is, is that we face them together. That's why we had this community of believers. That's why you're in the house this morning. It's because we have an opportunity to be an encouragement to each other, to do life together, to have this community of believers. And that's why events, for example, like something that happened last month that we called the Taste of Hope was such an incredible thing. How many of you guys were here for Taste of Hope last month? It was phenomenal. Look, if you missed it, I hate it for you. Because there were foods from all across the world that would have changed your life. Anybody remember the pupusas from El Salvador? Or the beef curry we had from India? Or there was this, this uh, casserole from Ohio that had onion rings on it and like tater tots. I don't know. It's probably a heart attack in a casserole, but it tasted amazing. Thank you, Krista. There was beef brisket from Texas. There was biscuits and gravy from North Carolina. Look, I mean, my mouth is watering just thinking about it, okay? Not going to lie. Obviously, I love food. And I'd be lying if I said, but I, but I would be lying if I said that I like every kind of food. Yes, I'm guilty of being picky. You can ask my wife. She would tell you. But hey, I like what I like, okay? And you like what you like. And that's okay. It's the reason the Lord created us uniquely the way that he did. See, each person's taste buds are different. And even within the same family, how many, how many of the parents in the room could, could, I, could admit that even their own kids don't all like the same things, right? I've heard people telling Mariah and I as we've been preparing for our first son to come, uh, you know, be prepared for whatever she eats during pregnancy is probably what, our, what he's going to like and what he's going to be his favorite foods. So trying to brace for uh, pizza and uh, sweet tea and chocolate milk. Yeah, exactly. That's been kind of the go-tos lately. <laughs> but in the same way that our taste buds are all different, we all have di- unique personalities and life experiences that make us unique in the way that the Lord created us that carried us through things that uh, maybe we didn't necessarily want to go through, or maybe we were glad that we went through. But they're the uniquenesses that make us different. It's the things we enjoy, how we communicate, how we feel loved, the things that we enjoy doing for work, uh, maybe the pain that we felt in the past, maybe it's even rules from, the ch- from our childhood, things that, that were normal in our house that we thought was normal for everybody, right? But the reality is we're all uniquely different. And yet the Jesus that we serve is only one God, He is the one and only God, in case you didn't know that. But yet, he has the ability to love and guide all of us in the uniqueness and in the differences that he created in us, right? But the the understanding is that he is the one and only God, and he doesn't change. It's what Hebrews 13.8 says. It says that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how does he 
love and guide so many uniquely different people. But we're going to get into that. But let's pray first. Father God, we love you. You are great, and what a joy it is to know you and to be known by you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for calling us to be your children. Father, would you speak to us now? Lord, let us be forever changed by the next few moments with you, Holy Spirit. We're here to please you. We're here to serve you. We're here to learn more about the goodness and the kindness of who you are. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Not sure if many of you heard about this little thing that was happening in a place called Wilmore, Kentucky. A couple months, well, about a month or so ago. I know it lasted about a few weeks. It was this thing that happened at Asbury University. Some people labeled it a revival. Some people labeled it a move of God. Some people weren't sure what to think of it. But I know from people that I talked to who went and visited and other people who I'd heard from uh, mutual friends that there were many life-changing stories that came out of that, that moment, out of the couple of weeks that took place there where people traveled from all across the country, sometimes all, all, the way, all, all around the world in order to be there to go, okay, what's going on here? What's happening? What's the Lord doing here in this town in Kentucky? They wanted to experience it. They wanted to understand what was happening. But what if the Lord manifested his presence at Asbury for the people that were there for that specific time? What if it was maybe only intended for a handful of students that were on that campus? Or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I'm not God. That's why he is and I'm not, right? I don't know what exactly his purpose was for that move, for that moment. But what if it just was for those handful of people that were there? If you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to start reading here where it talks about Jesus coming. It's just after he's called the disciples by name. And it says this in verse 20. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples began Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So we're going to stop there for a second because it says that the very family of Jesus, the very family of Jesus, his relatives, said that he was out of his mind. But I would suggest that maybe it's because they didn't understand the moment that was taking place there. Because I don't know about you, but I'd be, I'd be a little nervous to tell Jesus he was out of his mind. What do you think? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty bold statement. So for his very own family who knew him, knew where he'd come from, to say he's out of his mind was, I think they were the ones who were probably misunderstanding. I don't think it was Jesus that was out of his mind. Amen? So let me take you to a different moment here for a second. So we talked about the upcoming worship night. That, like we said, we have each first Wednesday night of the month. If we go back to March 1st, it was the first worship night we had for this month. We had our, mo- we had our time together. We spent about an hour, had people praying around the room, praying for our community, praying for each other, praying for healing. And it was awesome. Then 8 o'clock came. We were about time to close. Felt like the Lord had shown us what he wanted to People were encouraged. Pastor Mike dismissed us. And yet in that moment, that's just where kind of the Holy Spirit began to move. 
uh, for some of our team members from the worship team that stayed back that night and a few other people that hung around. We ended up staying and worshiping and praying and listening to the Holy Spirit for another hour and a half after the service ended. We weren't trying to create anything. If I can be honest, there was even a moment in my heart where I was praying and I said, Lord, I'm not going to stand here and linger just to try and replicate something else that's happening at Asbury. I said, I'm not, I'm not here to just manufacture something to go, oh, we had revival happen here too. I wasn't, I'm, I'm not going to do that if this is just about trying to say, oh, well, we experienced revival here at Hope too. I said, God, I'm not doing that. And I felt like in that moment he went, good, that's not what I was asking for. And that was the moment that the floodgates of heaven opened up. I can say without a single doubt in my mind, I've never experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit or the weight of his glory like I did that night. Never before in my life. I don't even know, I don't even really have words to describe it other than to just say there was a heaviness that was also peaceful. I don't know if that makes sense. Some of you may have experienced that before. Some of you maybe haven't. Again, in the uniqueness of the way the Lord creates us and the way that he speaks to us. But the weight of his glory was thick and it was tangible that night. And yet later on, I found myself wondering. I was trying to be careful, but I was wrestling with this thought of, I wonder what other people who were in the room that night were feeling. I wonder what other people that were in the room that night experienced. And then the next day, I was really energetic, really zealous, really passionate, man, because when you experience the presence of God like that, it moves you, it changes you. You can't just go back to doing life the way you did before. But ironically enough, my task for the next day, very practically, was to start this message for this morning. And I began to write and I began to read and I knew that I'd been given Mark chapter 3 is what Pastor Mike and I talked about and said, okay, this is what makes sense. This is what fits along with the curriculum we've been going through or the plan that we've been going through. And I began to read through Mark 3 and I felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And it started by him pointing out this reaction that Jesus' family had where I felt like the Lord showed me. He said that the family didn't understand because, again, the family was the one who said Jesus was out of his mind, Right? And from what we understand and what we know is true about who Jesus is as the Son of God, he was never out of his mind, not for a moment. So I felt like the Lord began to speak to me there for a minute and said, wait a minute, his family didn't understand. But were they supposed to? Was the weight of his glory just what I needed that night at that worship and prayer night? Did God really intend for every believer around the globe to experience and be present at that outpouring in Asbury. Or there's this thought. What if not every move of God is for every believer? What if the Lord speaks to each of us individually, and sometimes they are for a collective of people, but what if sometimes things that we don't understand that the Lord's doing in other people's lives isn't about us? What if it's not for us to understand? Can we be okay with that? Can we live in that tension? See, we have to be careful with judgments that we make about other people and about how the Lord works in their lives. We have to pray for discernment and make sure that we're not being 
like the Pharisees who came in in that moment, those will continue reading, who came in, and even then, it may not, that move that what, the, what Jesus was doing in that moment may not have been for the Pharisees either. I would suspect that maybe they came in and they didn't have the full context of what was going on, of what exactly Jesus' purpose, what exactly Jesus' plan was, was in that moment. But of course, more than Jesus' family, the Pharisees were far more judgmental. Far more judgmental. We're going to keep reading here. Mark 3.22 says, But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. So how do we react when something is labeled as an act of God or an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What's our response? And listen, I'll be the first one to admit, okay? When I hear someone say the word revival or when I hear someone say, man, the Lord was doing something powerful in this person's life for my life, I watch carefully. I do watch. I don't ignore it. I don't dismiss it. But I watch carefully, and I have to be careful that I don't become skeptical all the times. Because if I'm not careful then sometimes I have this attitude of judgment, just like the Pharisees. And then I have to repent. I have to go, God, maybe you were moving in that moment and and I didn't come with the right attitude. I came in thinking I knew how you were going to move. I knew what you were going to say, and that must not have been you. But I don't want to be caught in that place. So we have to come with humility, and we have to be careful and discerning. I want to come into when I've heard about those moments and in those conversations, hopeful, faith-filled, optimistic, gracious, but also discerning too. See, discernment is necessary. It's clarity from the Holy Spirit. See, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says this. He says, for us to be as wise as serpents, but also as gentle as doves. Again, there's a tension here. How do we do both? But ironically enough, the Pharisees might have been stuck on the wisest serpent's part, especially from when John the Baptist had called them sons of vipers or a brood of snakes earlier. And they probably ignored the part about being gentle and humble, but obviously because they probably weren't listening to the teaching of Jesus as well. See, then Jesus calls them over for an illustration about inner fighting amongst the kingdom and of a family. And the teaching that Jesus gives here, I firmly believe, applies to the body of Christ, which is all of us. Our judgmental and our prideful condemnation of one another weakens our ability to stand against Satan and, more importantly, honor the Lord in unity. It's like Pastor Mike said two weeks ago. Are we separating over minor issues? Are we majoring in the minors? Or are we able to understand that the Lord might move uniquely in other people's lives that might be slightly different and there might be a reason for it. 
See, like our unique tastes, our unique personalities mean that the Lord speaks to us and addresses each one of us in a very precise, precise and specific way. See, he knows how each of us learn, perceive, react, and receive. Emotional, passionate words help focus the heart of some. But for others, it's detailed, thoroughly explained doctrine that builds faith in their hearts. How many task-oriented people do I have in the room this morning? I'm going to put my hand down because I know I'm not task-oriented. <laughs> How many people do, in the room do we have that are more, would say they're more people-oriented in the room? See, that's the thing. We need both, right? Both are important. We work together. That's the reason that the Lord created the body of Christ, with some people being his hands, some people being his feet, some people being the other parts in between that don't want to be seen, right? He created each one of us differently and uniquely on purpose. But in the same way that we're created with different talents and different priorities, we also hear from the Lord in different ways. See, it's even scriptural. You can go back and look at it. The Lord didn't speak to all of the prophets the same way. He didn't speak to all the same disciples the same way. If you notice, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. But is that the same way he spoke to Samuel? No. The first time Samuel heard from the Lord was a small voice in the night when he was a child or maybe a young man. But yet, in a whole different vein, it says that Jesus needed to show the holes in his hands and the piercing in his side to Thomas in order for Thomas to actually believe. Right? He knows what it takes through to get through to each one of us. He knows what it takes to get our attention. And that's where we have to be willing to trust him in that. We have to understand that sometimes he's doing something to get someone else's attention that we may not understand. Can we be okay with that? Verse 28 says this, it says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Now let's talk about the, these three verses for a minute. We're going to pause on what we're talking about with the uniquenesses of our gifts. And I want to address this. Because this was a strong warning against the aggressive attacks of the Pharisees. They were the teachers of religious law at the time. They continually declared miraculous works of God to not be God, but instead to be from the devil. So what does that mean for us? It simply put means that we're called to love Jesus with our whole heart and choose our words carefully, just like we've been talking about. We discern and we ask the Lord about anything that he might want us to understand or know that might be going on somewhere else that we may not understand. I want to just sum it up by saying this very clearly. If you're serving Jesus and you're using the Bible as your guide to life, you don't need to live in worry. You don't need to live in fear. So many times people can take that particular passage of Scripture and really get overwhelmed by it. But I don't believe that that's the Lord's desire for it. I believe that it was something for a specific time, for a specific people. And so if we can have peace with knowing that as we trust the Lord and we serve him, we can live at peace. We don't have to live in anxiety. So what? 
let's bring it back around. Not every move of God is for every believer. But we should want him to move in our lives. Amen? And how do we react to something being labeled as an act of God or an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life? Well, here's a couple practical ideas. One, we pray that the Lord's will will be done in their life. We pray that the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be shown, the fruits of the Spirit will be displayed in their life. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are proof that he's at work in those moments, right? And even though we may not even see them, we want to pray that the Lord's will would be done, that the Lord would speak to them in whatever way that he sees fit. But in the same way, we should also be praying that the Lord's will would be done in our lives. It should encourage us by saying, okay, Lord, I see that you're wanting to work in this person's life. I want more of you in mine. Is that something you desire this morning? Do you want to experience the fullness of his presence in your life? Or are you satisfied with where you are? I hope that you're not. I hope that you want more of him, that you go, okay, wherever I'm at in my walk with you, Jesus, right now is not where I want to be a year from now. I want to continue to experience more of who you are. I want to trust you more. I want to find every area of my life that I might go, well, I'm doing okay in that area. And go, God, what else in that area of my life do you want to fix? How do you want to take me to a deeper level in your presence? Again, we were each created uniquely by the Lord our God. And it's in that uniqueness that we need a relationship with him that addresses the weakness and the imperfection of our lives. And look, and if you've been like me and there's been times where you've rested judgment about something, then repent of it. Know that his grace and his mercy is more than enough for you. He'll forgive you. Allow him to open your eyes and say, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing in that person's life, but Lord, show me what you're wanting to speak to me. Again, he knows how each of us learn, how we perceive, how we react, and how we receive from him. And he meets us right where we are. How many of you know that scripture tells us that it says that he calls us to come just as we are? He doesn't want us to try and get things worked out in our own lives first. He just wants us to come to him and trust him. Say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to speak to me and show me how you want to correct me, how you want to help me become more like you. And then when the Lord's presence is manifested in our lives, then other people might question it. Maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum. Maybe you've experienced the Lord move in your life and, and other people go, are you sure that was God? Sometimes that's a, hard, that's a hard place to be in. Sometimes it's your own family that questions whether what you're experiencing is from God or not. Maybe people struggle to believe and have faith for what you're having faith for. But that's where we humble ourselves and we ask the Lord to confirm what we believe is him. By showing us, we ask other believers and people around us that we know hear from the Lord and are serving the Lord, we say, hey, tell me what you think of this that I'm, that I'm praying for. Does this sound like it honors the Lord? Does this sound like it's from Scripture? We go back to Scripture. We read Scripture and say, Lord, is what I'm asking for something that aligns with your will from what you've told me in your word? Or is it something I've made up in my own head? Right? We have to discern for ourselves. 
And we have to be okay if not everybody understands how the Lord's working in our lives. I have to be okay with the fact that in that moment that night when the Holy Spirit fell and I felt the weight of the Lord and the Lord was freeing me from understanding that, was freeing me from thinking of him as an angry or as a ultra-controlling God that instead I recognized that he sings over me with joy. That night or earlier that day, I'd actually been having lunch with, with another one of our team members, one of my friends, and we'd been talking and, and talking about what it would be like for me to become a father. And he said, man, won't it change your perspective of God as our father? And I said, yeah, I've heard people talk about that. I don't, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure it will. And even in that moment, we began to talk about what our relationships were like with our own earthly fathers. And I remember sharing with him, I said, you know, I know that my dad loved me. I had no doubt in my mind that he loved me. But there were also times where my dad in his own struggle, struggles, his own failures and his own mistakes could come off as really angry and really violent. And I've realized, and I realized in that moment, that, that, that day having lunch and even continue on to that night for worship, that sometimes I looked at the Lord like that. Sometimes I thought that God would go from being very happy and joyful and, love, and loved me to being very angry and enraged at my mistakes. And I had to recognize that that's not who God is. Yes, he has sorrow and, and, and pain when we do things that hurt him and that don't align with his will, but it doesn't mean that he becomes an angry God full of rage. That's not who he is. It says that when he does have anger, it's just, right? But he's not violent and vicious and, and doesn't make us feel ashamed of the things, the mistakes we've made. And so for me, it was a revelation that the Lord had opened to me. And so then that night, it came to pass where I was able to literally just experience his glory and his power for a moment like I never had before. Why? Because I'd been able to put aside the limitations that I had put on him before that to go, wait a minute. He's not angry. He loves me. Wait a minute. As your word says, Lord, in Zephaniah 3, that you sing over me with joyful songs that you rejoice with gladness over me as your son. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, I know that. But maybe somebody here in the room this morning needed to hear that for the first time. He sings over you with joy because he loves you. He sees you as his son or as his daughter. For me, that was a revolutionary moment. I was like, I feel like I've already experienced the Lord's love. But I hadn't to the extent that I did that night. But again, I had to come to a realization that that move what the Lord was doing that night wasn't necessarily for everybody else. I had to take my eyes off of everybody else and say, okay, Lord, what are you wanting to do in me here and now? And allow it to just be me and him. And in the same vein, making sure that I wasn't worried about what the Lord was doing with other people and let it be him and them. Let me remove myself from it. When we ask those other believers and the other people around us to help us understand, hey, if I'm not sure if what the Lord's doing, if what I'm hearing is from the Lord or if it's from my flesh or it's somebody trying to influence me, when those things happen and we may be uncertain, we don't lose the zeal and the passion and the desire for knowing more of the Lord intimately. That's the times that we dig in deeper, right? We go, God, what does your word say? Because you gave us this book as our guide to life. 
Father, what are you wanting to speak to me? And though I might not be out hearing your audible voice right now, maybe I'm not hearing or seeing the signs and the patterns that you're using to speak to me. God, what does your word say? Because this, bu- this book addresses everything that we'll encounter in this lifetime. Everything. There's not a single thing left out. So let us not lose our zeal. Let us not lose our passion for the Lord, even when we're not totally clear on what we feel like he's wanting to do in our lives. I pray that we find balance and discernment and that our receptivity to the Father is one of openness, allowing him to work in our lives and to work in the lives of others around us. I pray that we don't get so focused on our own intentions or the things we've been taught that we think are right or are the only way to do something or the only way to hear from God. That we don't get so fixated on those things that we miss what he's wanting to say to us.